Last Sunday, you got a little acquainted with a person by the name of Theophilus. Um, very important person. When this guy began reading Luke's second contribution to the Bible, and that's the book of Acts, Theophilus was already a believer. He had already gotten the gospel of Luke. It was directed to him. Somewhere in all that, I wonder, how did he or anyone else figure out that this was like holy scripture and it ends up in the canon of scripture? But it was written to him. And I just thought, how did, what did he think when he was reading the early verses of the book of Acts and, and he was presented with activities in the first 30 years of Christianity. Um, you might get tired of me saying this, but when you, if you hold one of these, you have a priceless treasure in your hands. And what's really neat is that when people try to research this to uh, defeat it, to show that it's an error, they end up like Josh McDowell. They end up getting saved. Um, you know, who was the one that wrote uh, The Case for Christ? Lee Strobel. Same thing for him. He's going to prove that his wife's salvation in this Jesus person was all a myth. And he started researching. Guess what happened to him? He gets saved. So this book is a powerful book. And we're privileged to have a copy or even copies of it. But we're going to dive into Acts 1 if you want to turn there. I didn't give uh, Shane all the, of the scriptures uh, really kind of too much. I will tell you, uh, if whatever translation you're reading out of, I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version. It says, here you go, changing it again. Um, I just read them, and I don't like the NIV's rendering of um, verse 4, I think it is, and verse 5. I just don't like the way they, they change some things. But uh, I'm going to read this, and, and you can follow along. We're, this is before the explosion of Acts 2, the... Um, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. These are the early words. And I know we didn't get past old Theophilus last time, but uh, stick with us. We're going to get on further down. The former account, this is out of New King James, by the way. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day he, in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments, whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible, uh, convincing proofs, being seen of them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Uh, one translation says the to wait for the gift, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I just love this stuff. He said to them, It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own power. It is authority, exousia. But you shall receive power, dunamis, two different words, raw energy, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. That ought to be a giveaway right there. In white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I think the next verse says something about they left the Mount of Olives and went back to Jerusalem, which was about a Sabbath day's journey, about a half a mile. I've been privileged to be in Israel twice, and uh, the Church of All Nations is up on the Mount of Olives. It's, it's, there's different places that was commemorated, and, um, but that's where Bethany was. It's, you just, it's across the Kidron Valley. It's a beautiful setting. But right there, Jesus met with them, and uh, right in front of you, in, very, in the very first verse, I want you to see something, because the Gospels and the book of Acts are connected, not just because Luke wrote one of the Gospels and Acts, but they are connected. Look at this. This is a key word. And, and on my 28-day sabbatical, when I was reading, it seemed like single words just jumped off the pages with me. And it was true about this very first verse when he talked about that I wrote of, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. If you could identify the Gospels as the exploits of Jesus doing the work of salvation for us, the book of Acts would be the exploits of Jesus working in us by way of the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at the word began. He could have said all that Jesus did. There's a big difference between those two verbs. Begin means he still going, still working. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't finished. He's still working. He's still saving. He's still healing. He's still delivering. He's still rescuing. He still encourages people. He's not stopped. He's continuing to work. This is the whole point of the book of Acts. Jesus did what he did in the Gospels, but it was a continuum that went through the book of Acts. So here's these slides. you have these slides up there? Look at that. The first point I want to make this morning is this point. One final meeting. Won't you stick with me here? So here was this one final meeting, and uh, he has all of these followers with him on the Mount of Olives, and this was a different meeting from any other meeting he had with them. And if you remember the, the different appearances Jesus had with people, he either appeared and then disappeared, or like the two people walking on the road to Emmaus, he just kind of walks along with them, and they get to talking, they sit down to eat, and when he blesses the food, their eyes are open, they realize who it is, and they poof. It wasn't because he was immaterial. He, he had this body that was material, but it wasn't subject to the laws of matter. He could appear, disappear. He did that in a room with them. Uh, they were just there, and all of a sudden, there he is, right there. And after he talks to them and, and ministers to them, he just disappears. This is not that kind of meeting. Because this is a meeting that was prearranged. This was an announced meeting. Because you don't get at least 120 people 
on the top of Mount of Olives unless they're expecting something. And I'm going to come back to this in just a moment. This was, this was Jesus' final meeting with them, but I think they didn't think it was the final meeting. I don't think they had any idea about what was about to happen because there's a giveaway here in just a moment. It's just speculation because when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in chapter 15 of his first letter, it was, it's one of the greatest chapters on resurrection. And he kind of prefaces how all of this works, what kind of body we will have and how it all is going to be in sequence. And he says that there's one thing that just jumps out. He says, and he appeared to 500 people at one time. I would think that was an announced meeting. Unless a concert was going on, he just showed up, showed up at the concert. No, th this was, and, he, and Paul says, and if you don't believe what I'm telling you, many of those 500 people are still alive. He didn't say it this way, but he says, if you want to go interview him, go and interview him. It's kind of like people who think they see UFOs and, and are Bigfoot. I've often wondered, does people who take those pictures have a camera that focuses. <laughs> There's something wrong with the lens on every picture you ever see. The UFO is like, oh, what is that? It's like this sliver. Or Bigfoot, it's kind of fuzzy, though. No, this was like Jesus appeared alive to 500 people. 500 people. It's hard for 500 people to have a hallucination. And he says, you can go and talk to them. Their stories don't change. They're going to tell you the same thing, exactly how that meeting... And this is just speculation on my part. This maybe doesn't have anything worth in this message. But it could be in my, my way of thinking that this is where he appeared to 500 people. And I know what you're going to say. What about that 120? We're going to get to that in just a moment. But here's the meeting. And what a 40-day event was that period of time. Six weeks in six weeks' time, every, these, these disciples had went through all kinds of emotional ups and downs. They were so excited. They had this last supper, and they started getting a little worried about some of the things he was talking about. And lo and behold, within a few hours, all their hopes were gone. Their dreams came crashing down because the one who multiplied food, who healed the sick, raised the dead, told storms to shut up, and calm down, they were looking at him lifeless on a cross, covered in his own blood from his head to his feet, and all, of, all that they could think was to walk away, and everything boggled their mind how it all came crashing down. Have you ever thought about this? Not a single one of those disciples helped bury their master. That shows you how devastated they were. It took two men who were kind of like secretive followers of Jesus to finally come out in the open, Joseph of Arimathea, and there's that man in John 3, Nicodemus, and they take the initiative to pull his lifeless body off the cross, go through the intricacies of preparing and wrapping him in grave clothes, and none of the apostles were anywhere near that. Where they're at is they're hiding. 
because they have a feeling they may be next. And the Bible clearly gives us that. They were there in fear. They were shut up in a house. They were hiding. If they did that to the one who did all those things and he couldn't stop them or didn't stop them, we're toast. So here they are, but he's, they didn't even believe he was raised from the dead. Here's, isn't it neat that some women were brave enough to go into the cemetery on Sunday morning? <laughs> While these wonderful disciples were hiding and hunkered down and trying to weather the storm, and they show up and like, he's, the tomb is empty. And there was one, there was an angel there saying that he's alive. And John and Peter run to the to the tomb, and sure enough, they, what they see is like a cocoon of grave clothes. I love this. You know, Jesus was in the, in the tomb in his grave one day shorter than Lazarus was. And Jesus called him out, and he was hopping, wrapped up in grave clothes. He was like, and Jesus said, go. And said, well, he kind of smells. He, he, he stinks. He says, go turn him loose. Here's the thing about when they, when they walked in there, there was no smell because no corruption touched him. I don't know why he did this, but when he came up alive, he took the napkin that was the, the facial covering cloth and folded it up and laid it on top of the grave clothes. And if he had a post-it, this would be great to say, and I'm not coming back. I'm done with this. It's over. He was raised from the dead. In 40 days, they got to see him on numerous occasions. Now their whole ideas started to change. They were starting to get used to these visitations. And this particular one on the Mount of Olives was prophetic. Because look what they ask him. This is where their one hope kicks in. In verse 6, it says, Lord, this is so good. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were thinking, Jesus is alive. He broke death. Who could stand against him? Can Pilate? Can the Caesar? Can anyone? We're going to take over the world. This is our moment to shine in, in grandeur of Israel. This is what they were asking. Is this, you know, I don't know whether they thought about it. And, you know, I think you want us involved. I love his reaction to this. And you think about some of the lyrics like resurrection. I thought about this. The tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days. His body would not remain. Our God has robbed the grave. I love those lines. God robbed death by raising up his son, showing that he was truly Messiah. And now standing right in front of them was the res resurrected Lord one more time. And they says, is this it? Is this the time frame? And I love what Jesus said to him. He said, uh, it's none of your business. That's Charles Lynn's rendering. It's, uh, it's not for you to know that. That's kind of a nicer way to say it. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, the epics of history. God has all of that put under his authority, his power. Don't worry about that. And isn't it? Something, how we can get off on tangents and start worrying about certain things. And God just wants to get us back to the simple thing. Hello, you're alive today. Do what God puts in front of you. Don't worry 
about the prophetic calendar. Boy, there's some people that need that. You know, I, I, I used to be all into eschatology and, and all of that. And, and finally, I kind of like, I still, I still love it, but it's, it's like he's going to come when he comes. I know that's deep thought. He's going to come when he will come. But people get so strung out about it. Right now, if you go on television and watch television very long, they want you to buy a year's supply of food because, just because, something close to the apocalypse is going to happen. You're going to have to go down in the hole somewhere in the ground and try to live out and survive. That's really what God's called us to do, right? He said the Father has put that all under his authority. Now, Jesus is giving them hope, but not the hope they wanted. Because the very next thing was about this charge, this one final charge. We might say that the Great Commission was Jesus' last commandment. It might be a little shaky ground on that because it said commandments. And one of the really final commandments was this little word that I've, I took the title for this message, is wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the gift. And everybody in this room has no problem with waiting. We are the best people when it comes to waiting. We're okay with waiting. Right. Even fast food people don't move fast enough unless it's Chick-fil-A and they've got the system down. I knew, I'd, I knew I'd get at least one amen before I finished this message. They do. They <laughs> it helps to have good food, too. But waiting, and, and this is what Jesus told them. He didn't tell them how long to wait. He just said, wait. It's a difficult thing to do. I mentioned, uh, I mentioned the 500 that Jesus appeared to and that this could have been the time he appeared to 500. So, so, Pastor, how do you get down to 120 in the upper room? You ask 500 people to wait for 10 days for something, you may have some attrition there. You may have some after the first day says, man, I got, I got stuff to do. I got to go. Maybe three, four days. How about seven days? Man, it's been a week. It's no telling. And, and I can imagine just maybe some, if it was us in the room, you, you think he's arrived and we don't know it? Because I had someone after a great service, you know, that's getting, I was the guest speaker, the pastor wasn't there, and there's taking, there's taking, how many got saved? And, and how many got filled with the Holy Spirit? And there was raising, it was a fantastic Sunday night service in Cross City, Florida. I was still in Bible college. It was, I was just blown away by what happened there that night. And then somebody says, and how many got sanctified? And then a few people raised their hand, and then this guy says, hey, buddy, you got sanctified tonight. He says, I did? Yeah. So he raises his hand. I'm like, come on. How do you do that? <laughs> Something happened to you. You need to know it happened to you. But somebody else knew that it happened to you. I don't know if there was people there who says, you know what? I think, I think I received something like last night waiting. And, I, you know, I, I think I've got it. Who knows what happened? I'm just telling you, if that was us, I think there would be some attrition. 
I think, I think, including myself, I think maybe we should just like, come on. It's been eight days that hasn't happened yet. My dad was the consummate victor of punctuality. He was like, the eighth deadly sin that should have been in Proverbs was tardiness. He just, he just, he was like time conscious. And I would go with him toward the, end, toward the latter years, latter months of his life to his doctor's appointments and his Zomata treatments and dealing with cancer. And, and they would give him this appointment time. And I, and I even tried to explain to him that that's just to get you here. But that's appointment time. As soon as he got his time, he would head to the window. Uh, my appointment is 10.30, and uh, it's, it's 10.31. You're a minute late. Well, well, Mr. Lynn, he says, no, it's not Mr. Lynn. You told me to be here at 10.30. I got here early so I could be here at 10.30, and I want to know why he hasn't seen me. I want somebody to explain to me, and I'm like, And he would do that, not, he would do that every time. And I told him one day, I says, Daddy, Brenda works for doctors, and the dirty little secret is this. Sometimes the doctor is not even there. Now, that's changing people right now. I just feel, I just feel like, ooh, they don't want to wait on you, but they want you to wait on them. And you're the one paying them. How does that work? We just don't do good with waiting. And this is why I think this final charge, maybe there was just attrition there. I, I just believe in my heart that there was more people in the Mount of Olives that was in the upper room in Acts 2. They just gave it up. But he told the ones, and I think the ones, I think that 120 people were the ones who really knew that power, dunamis, was not going to be like this fuzzy thing that happens. There's going to be something that happens that we're going to be immersed in this thing called the Holy Spirit. And he says, wait. So that long meeting, that meeting on the Mount of Olives was not long at all. If you look at it, if you just look at that, there's only a couple of things said there. And I wondered, here, here's my, my mind wondering, uh, did he maybe say 1 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, meet me at the Mount of Olives? Or did he just say, go to the Mount of Olives and wait for me there? Or, or was he there when some of them were still arriving? I, I think maybe that wouldn't have been good. Because <laughs> it sounds like, he was going to get to the point and go. Is that what, is that what you get? He was like, um, okay, wait until you have received power from on high. And, and he told them before, you know, wait until Jerusalem. Hey, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? No, but you receive power of the Holy Spirit. It's coming. And right after that, it says, while they were looking at him, he started going up. And this is the final view they had of him. And it was not... This whole meeting was totally, totally different. They had an appointment to see him on Mount of Olives, and he just didn't disappear. Isn't that interesting? He could have went poof. <laughs> and he was like, 
And I think they probably would have said, okay, let's go to Jerusalem, and here they go off. But no, he slowly lifts up so they can see him. Why did they do it that way? Why different that moment? We kind of get a clue from these two angels that show up. It says, are those angels, I want to tell you, people do not dress in white in New Testament times. It, just walking down dirt roads, white did not work. These two men, these two angels that look like men, these two angels are standing there, and here's what they're asking. Why are you gazing? Why are you staring up? They, they were still looking even after he was out of sight. <laughs> I think they were like, wow, this meeting didn't go like we thought. We were ready to take over the world, and he's gone. And he's gone for good. He's, this is it. This is the last deal. There's no more appearances to them. He's done with appearing. But what he said, but you will get the promise of the Father. You will get the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the one who replaces me. This is the one who takes up where I left off. This is the one who more things are going to happen through if I stayed. And so they're told by these two angels, why are you standing here looking at this? Do what he's told you to do. And so this is the last thing. And if the praise team can come up. It was time to move. It was time to get with what he had for them to do. You know, I, I think just like the disciples wanting to think that maybe there was something else going on that day at that meeting, that there, you know, I... I I just wondered if somebody interviewed Pilate, what he would say. Uh, what, what about this story about Jesus not being in the grave anymore? And I would think probably he'd put on his best public demeanor. Yeah, we, we, we think something fishy went on there. But probably when he laid down at night, his wife says, I told you. <laughs> I told you I have nothing to do with him. What if he just shows up in our bedroom in the middle of the night? Because she like, don't have anything. I was warned in a dream. And so I think everybody, even the soldiers who were bribed with money, saying, um, don't tell them you saw an angel. Don't tell them the stone rolled away. Don't, don't tell them about the earth shaking. You tell, you tell, we'll give you money. We'll give your superiors money. We're going to take care of it. You just tell them you fell asleep and disciples came and they stole the body. But how I many you know all the money in the world, all of the false narrative they could come up with did not change in their minds. They saw something that night. That early morning, they saw something. And it would never be changed. He was alive. He was very much alive. And it was time for them to move. What was their first movement? what we don't do very well. Talked about this in Sunday school, about spending time dialing it back, dialing it down, turn the television off, put your phone on mute, or even shut it down. Turn off all of your electronic devices and just shut it down for just a few moments to wait in His presence. And that is getting to be 
an incredible, difficult thing for us to do. Because our minds are so occupied with so much. But it's time for you to wait. To wait in His presence. See what He has for you. Would you stand with me? Can I tell you, go get the promise of God. Go get what he has for you. Receive what he has for you. He doesn't make anybody accept him by being forced to. He, he calls us to himself, and he calls us to this incredible experience of being immersed in the Holy Spirit which is going to be the focus of next Sunday but today I want to ask you why are you gazing at your life from your perspective why are you so focused on where it's at now don't you think God has a different place for you don't you think he has that flood that immersion that power that energy that he has for you to move from gazing at what you have and focusing on something that you can't even make, make any kind of eyesight out of for the intimacy of the Lord. Lord, I pray this morning for those in this room who've been captivated not by you, but by life and by circumstances and by their fears and their doubts and everything else that has seemed to seize their life and their energies. And maybe anger and Resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness has captured them and you have a greater thing for them to move from that gazing to their pain. May you bring people out of the shadows of where they're at into this glorious light of your presence, Lord. And may it start today. Why should we wait for tomorrow? Let us start today by moving where we're from into where you want us to be, Lord where you want us to live, that wonderful, powerful place of your life and your energy, Lord, where you want us to be, where you call us to be. May enough of us in this room that we've already heard a prophetic word today about the, the wave, the power, the force, 